Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 91 of the Popecast, The History of the Papacy, the only podcast about popes where you'll find non-boring stories on the successors of St. Peter and a reminder that all of the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Now, real quick, before we dive in, if you're a new or long-time listener to the show, we'd love to get these new episodes early and would also like to support our work, please consider visiting patreon.com slash thepopecast. There's some neat swag you can get there as well, plus you'll join the existing community of Popecast superfans, so that's patreon.com slash thepopecast. Also, we have another papal history project that comes in an email format called Today in Papal History, which you can sign up for at popes.substack.com. That's popes.substack.com. Now, thanks as always for listening, and on to the show. Today's Pope is another one of those best-kept secrets in Catholic history. He held some of the most influential posts in Renaissance Christendom, presided over Catholicism's response to the Protestant Reformation, and then cracked the top ten for shortest papal reigns. But his mom sure would have been proud that he kept the name she gave him. This week on the Popecast, it's the last pope to not change his name, Pope Marcellus II. Marcello Cervini Daly Spinoci was born in Tuscany, Montepulciano to be specific, on the 6th of May in 1501. The boy had two brothers, Alexander and Romulus, and at least one sister, Chingia, who would later become the mother of one Robert Bellarmine, an Italian Jesuit and cardinal renowned as one of the great figures of the Counter-Reformation, and who was in the 1930s canonized a saint and named Doctor of the Church. Marcello's father, Ricardo, having had a prestigious role in finance on Italy's Adriatic coast, put him through studies first in Siena and then in the Eternal City herself, shortly following the 1523 papal election of Pope Clement VII, with whom Ricardo was a personal friend. He would remain there aside from a brief stint back home following the 1527 sack of Rome, and upon returning it didn't take long for those in positions of influence to begin noticing not just Marcello's smarts, but what the Catholic Encyclopedia called, quote, his purity of life and longing for knowledge, end quote. In particular, Cardinal Alessandro Farnese, who would soon become the great Pope Paul III when he succeeded Clement VII in 1534. Paul immediately named Marcello to one of the highest positions in the Roman Curia. A year later, he was ordained a priest, and in 1538, Father Servini was assigned as the mentor to the 18-year-old Cardinal Alessandro Farnese, who was, in fact, Paul III's grandson, and instructed him to school the young prelate on the many intricacies of curial life. Marcello himself was made a cardinal the following year, a week before Christmas in 1539 at the age of 38, being named the cardinal priest of the Roman Church of Santa Croce in Jerusalem, particularly so that he could personally participate in negotiations with the various rulers of Europe when accompanying the vastly inexperienced Cardinal Farnese around the continent. One such mission was a legation to the German and French kings, Charles V and Francis I, respectively, to help the Pope himself broker a truce and enlist the monarchs to help in the fight against both the Turkish invaders and Henry VIII's break from Rome, but the whole effort was a massive dud. Cardinal Servini would receive many more responsibilities and accolades over the coming decade, but none were more monumental than his being named one of three presidents of the Council of Trent, alongside the English Cardinal Reginald Pole and the Italian Giovanni Maria del Monte, 
Pole was a member of the House of Plantagenet and the last Catholic Archbishop of Canterbury, and he stood firm against Henry VIII's break from Rome. In fact, by the time of his appointment to preside over the Council of Trent, much of Cardinal Pole's family had been executed by Henry, including his own mother, the now-blessed Margaret Pole. And Del Monte, for his part, the other president of the council, is now better known to us as Pope Julius III, Cardinal Servini's immediate predecessor in this chair of Peter. Once the council was underway, as the Catholic Encyclopedia notes, quote, he fearlessly represented the interests of the Pope and the Church against all opposition from the Emperor, whose extreme hatred he in consequence incurred, end quote. So that means partisans of the Emperor had him canned, the first chance they got. But it wasn't before Cardinal Savini had contributed valuable input on a variety of Trent's documents, which still enrich Catholicism's patrimony even today. Following his sojourn with the council, he was immediately appointed to run the Vatican Library, a post which he filled quite well. Several hundred volumes in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew were added to its collection during his time, as were numerous catalogs of valuable manuscripts. In addition, as friend of the show, Father Rich Kunst, writes at papalartifacts.com, quote, he was a friend to young writers and such scholars as Serapando, Serletto, and Panvinio owed much to him, end quote. The year 1550 brought the election of Julius III, formerly, as we mentioned, Cardinal Servini's co-president at Trent, but not before both Cardinal Pole and our title character here were themselves in the running. Apparently, Pole was within two votes of being named the next pontiff, but further support couldn't be garnered after the first couple of rounds. Cardinal Servini ended up on the list of possible candidates himself after a few more were tried and failed, but he ended up having to bow out of the proceedings altogether thanks to a nasty bout of malaria. The ensuing five years saw relatively little in terms of public activity from Cardinal Servini, but he had apparently lost very little favor among both those in power and among the people of Rome, given his continued popularity by the time of Julius III's death in 1555. The conclave that followed was an odd one. Over one-third of the College of Cardinals, 20 in all, were absent entirely from the voting, leaving just 37 men to vote on the next successor of St. Peter. And what's more, despite there being three clear factions among the assembled cardinals, the French, the Germans, partial to Emperor Charles V, who, as you might remember, disliked Cardinal Servini, and the Italians, headed by Cardinal Farnese, all were able to agree on their candidate and elected Servini on the very first ballot. The date was April 9th, 1555. The newly elected pontiff opted to keep his baptismal name and thus became known as Pope Marcellus II, the last pope in history to stick with his name instead of taking on a new one. Strangely enough, it was then that Marcellus was finally ordained a bishop. He had been a priest for 20 years and a cardinal for more than 15, and he was tasked with running several dioceses to boot, but he had never formally been consecrated a bishop until reaching the highest Episcopal outpost in Christendom. As Pope, Marcellus deeply desired to continue the reforming work of the Church, likely being keenly aware of the bloated excesses and negligence that had led to the bitter fruit of the Protestant Reformation, as well as the need for Catholicism to return to its ancient roots. Sadly, however, Providence appeared to have different plans. Already being somewhat sickly, the grueling combined schedule of a conclave, papal coronation, and the celebration of Holy Week and Easter that year, to say nothing of the stresses of taking on the mantle of Bishop of Rome entirely, ended up sounding Marcellus's death knell. He fell ill immediately following Easter Sunday, but briefly appeared to be recovering 
During that time, he was able to assemble the cardinals and hold audiences with the French and Spanish ambassadors, apparently telling all of them to keep the peace or to otherwise risk a personal visit and tongue-lashing from the Pope himself. He also corresponded with Queen Mary I, Mary Queen of Scots, and his old friend Cardinal Pole, who he assigned as papal ambassador to England. Marcellus also took the opportunity to ward off his relatives, of all things, from mooching off his newfound wealth, going so far as to refuse a formal visit from two of his own nephews. It wouldn't be a stretch to think that this move of Marcellus was a direct result of having watched the younger Cardinal Farnese pull the proverbial wool over the eyes of his granddad, Pope Paul III, sullying an otherwise grand reign. At any rate, the Pope took a turn for the worse in the final days of April 1555. From Matthew Bunsen in his papal encyclopedia, quote, On May 1st, 1555, the Pope died of a massive stroke, aborting a reign rich in promise. End quote. Pope Marcellus II was in the chair of Peter for exactly 22 days, putting him in sixth place on the list of shortest papal reigns in history. There sadly isn't much of a legacy of Marcellus in his role as Pope in particular, but there is one notable nod to his memory. Within a decade of this Pope's death, Palestrina dedicated his famous Misa Pape Marcelli to the late pontiff, and it has become his best-known mass setting, having been traditionally sung, in fact, at every papal coronation from then on until that of Pope Paul VI in 1963, which is actually the last papal coronation that's happened. It's this great work that you'll hear in the background as we close out this episode. So that wraps up the story of the last pope in history to not change his name. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, especially if you're a new listener. A quick thank you to all of our patrons, again, who support the show, and for all of you patient listeners who bore with us during this hiatus, in which we actually added another PopeCast Jr. to the household. And yes, this one has a papal name too. So if you'd like to support our efforts again here and to see a picture of Gregory the 17th, if you will, be sure to head over to patreon.com slash the PopeCast. Of course, the PopeCast will always be free to listen to, so your patronage just helps us to cover the various costs that come with producing a show like this. So if you'd like to join the community and help ensure that the PopeCast is around long into the future, visit patreon.com slash the PopeCast. Another quick thing. Please, if you haven't already, leave us a rating and a review over at iTunes and uh, a rating at Spotify. It can really help new listeners to find the show. Plus, if you post a review or email us your thoughts, we always like to read those out on the air to give you a thanks and a shout out. And speaking of, here's our latest five-star review over on iTunes, Stargazer11, great name. Stargazer11 says, just the right length for podcast listening, not too much depth, amusingly told. So thank you, Stargazer11, from wherever you're writing in from. Uh, as we head out today, let us give thanks for the life of Pope Marcellus II and ask for the grace to live our lives with virtue, a thirst for knowledge of the truth, and a readiness to be called into eternity whenever we're asked. And above all, never forget, these are strange times that we live in, but they are no stranger than in ages past. Until next time. <laughs>